Well, welcome back to Virtual Church. I'm so glad you've taken the time out of your day and your week to worship with us. I'm going to begin by doing something a little bit dangerous, and that is that I'm going to be poking fun at my wife. So, um, she's given me permission at any time I want to poke fun at her in my sermons, but it's still a dangerous proposition, so I'll ask you to pray for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. As many of you are already aware, my wife cannot pass up a deal. There are many things that we really wanted to get, but just end up not getting them because Kate couldn't find a good enough deal. And there are many things that we've ended up with that we maybe didn't want that were such a good deal that we ended up getting them. Kate can't pass out a, pass up a good deal on anything. And I'm not being critical. Uh, she manages to keep everyone in our house happy on a pastor's salary because she's so militant about seeking out good value and good deals and sales. But if I wanted to take Kate on her ideal date, uh, all I'd have to do is give her a little bit of money and spend two hours walking around Ikea with her. Kate loves Ikea. It's my little personal nightmare, but Kate loves Ikea. And whenever I work up the patients to go to Ikea with her, we're never allowed to leave without first visiting her favorite section of the store. At the very end, right before you get to the cashiers, there's this section labeled as is. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The, the prices are significantly less. The furniture is already assembled. But there's something wrong with this furniture. It's been uh, damaged somehow, or it was a display model. And so you can get really, really good deals on items, but the trade-off is that there's going to be some kind of, uh, something that's not ideal about them. There's something wrong with them. Sometimes they're called irregular, or sometimes um, they're, they're damaged, but these are damaged goods, and you've received fair warning. This is the department of something's gone wrong. You're going to find a flaw, a stain that won't come out, or a hole, or a dent, or a scratch. There's going to be a problem, and you will find it eventually. These items are not normal. Now, the, the, the catch with the as is section is they're not going to tell you where the flaw is. You're going to have to look for it, and we know that it'll be there. So when you find it, and you will find it, don't come crawling back or whining to Ikea because they warned you. Because there's a fundamental rule about the as is section. No returns, no refunds, no exchanges. If you're looking for perfect, you've walked down the wrong aisle and you've received fair warning of this. And so if you truly want this item for the deal they're offering you, you have to take it as is. If you've ever dealt with another human being in your life, you'll notice that you've come to the as is section of the universe. Think for a moment about someone in your life, maybe the person you know best and love most, and if you're honest, you'd have to admit that that person is slightly irregular. If you want perfection and you've walked down the people aisle, then you've come to the wrong place. John Haddington, I think, said it best when he said, I've been comforted for more than 20 years by the thought that Jesus welcomes not only sensible sinners, but stupid ones as well. As we continue with our sermon series called Setting the Table, we're taking a look at making sure that we're all on the same page about who we are and how we operate and what we're called to be. So I think it's important to spend some time discussing a very trendy word these days. 
inclusion. There is no doubt that as a church, we are called to the radical inclusivity that Christ models for us. But the word inclusive or inclusivity has taken on a lot of baggage in recent years. There is a difference between being an inclusive community and a reckless one. We are called to love everyone and the gospel is for everyone. Full stop. But there are also limits to inclusiveness within the context of a church. And each of us will have our own thoughts on that. I'm referring to predatory or toxic behaviors. Where do we draw the line on inclusion? At what point do we have to limit someone else's inclusion or exclude them altogether? As a church, we have policies for these sorts of things that we believe, that we've discerned come from the Bible. But everyone is going to have their own theology of risk in these situations. And as we'll come to see, that's a good thing. Years ago, when I was a young youth pastor, I received a strange phone call one day. And it was the father of a boy who'd come to youth group for the first time that week. He had no association with the church. And this gentleman was reasonably polite, but he made sure that I knew in no uncertain terms that he was happy for his son to attend youth group as long as I didn't fill his head with all that Jesus nonsense. So I politely informed him that that was the whole purpose of what we were trying to do with this program and that I would love to continue to host his son, but that the program was not going to change and that I would continue to challenge the kids and speak into their lives from a biblical standpoint. And this guy became quite upset with me. And he said that if that's how I was going to be about it, then his son would no longer be attending. Just as a side note, pray for Crystal and the youth team because it's not always the kids that they're up against here. In many cases, it's actually their parents. And by the way, the boy in question in my story was back every single week. But I guess the question and why this is relevant today is, what should I have done differently? Should I have altered the message and purpose of youth group and what I was doing in order to make one father more comfortable? I'm confident that no one, would, no one within our context would agree that I should have changed what I was doing. It's the whole point of youth group after all. So, while it's not in vogue to speak of, there are limits to inclusion within the church, even beyond predatory or toxic behavior. I didn't want to exclude this boy from youth group, but I was willing to, in order to continue to present the gospel. So there are limits to inclusion, and I think we all can agree to that once it's pointed out in the way I have. But the question becomes, where are those limits? Where is the line? It can be difficult to find. And we're all going to disagree about where it is on cer at certain times. We're going to come back to inclusion of people outside of our walls in a few minutes. But first, I want to spend some time discussing diversity within our church. Because it often gets neglected. This is where, as a North American church, we've actually failed most at being inclusive, in my opinion within our own walls. Once someone becomes a part of our family, we too often expect them to fall in line with our own personal theology. People within churches are often shocked 
to find out that other people within their church disagree with them on a subject they thought was universally understood. We're discussing ground rules in this series. We're setting expectations, so let's set some right now. As a church, we will not just accept the diversity of people and thought and theology, we will actively honor it. Within this church, we have a broad spectrum of thought on Christian doctrine. And that's not only okay, it's something to celebrate. I've mentioned this several times, but many of you share with me that you go to the Baptist church and you're not Baptist. Many of you have many different thoughts and backgrounds and, and ideas about what God intends for us in certain situations. We agree on much, but we disagree on much too, and we are better for it. See, each of us has a responsibility to work out our faith, to work out what we believe and how we're going to live that out. And we'll often come down on things in different places than the person sitting next to us. And that's a good thing, because none of us actually has it figured out. Churches and denominations don't even have it all figured out. Let's get this straight. I am a fifth generation pastor in this denomination that we now call CBWC. So if anyone should think they have it all figured out, it would be me. But I don't. There are things that I am misunderstanding and getting wrong. There are things that we as a denomination are getting wrong or misunderstanding. A most recent study, the most recent study, pegged the amount of denominations, the number of individual denominations worldwide, at more than 30,000. That number is staggering. That's 30,000 disagreements about something within Christianity that someone felt was significant enough to break off and start their own thing. 30,000. But none of us actually have a monopoly on the will of God. None of those 30,000 denominations has it all figured out. None of us, not you or I, have it all figured out. None of us has a monopoly on the will of God. Everyone filters God word, God's word through their own lived experiences. There is simply no way to read the Bible in a vacuum. We all bring baggage and we do our best to understand it with our baggage. Throughout this sermon series, you'll learn that there are certain phrases that are very common within the church that I refuse to accept. And the first of these that I'm going to share with you is this one. We often hear this. The Bible is clear. The Bible's not clear about much. There are a few things I will grant you. But if the Bible were clear, we wouldn't have more than 30,000 denominations. The Bible is an incredibly complicated series of books that do not behave the way we want them to. Despite what many of us were taught in Sunday school, the Bible is not an instruction manual with clear answers to every problem. Now, I know that some of you are starting to get your hackles up here. I want to be clear that this is not the same as saying that the Bible is not the inspired word of God or that it's not sufficient for Christian living. It absolutely is. But we have to work at understanding it. 
And even what we need to bring to it in order to understand it is stuff that we're going to disagree on. Because when we work to understand the Bible, we make decisions. We apply its ancient truths to our lives in the way that the Holy Spirit leads us. In short, we translate it. It is impossible to read anything, much less the Bible, without making decisions about what it is trying to communicate. But here's the thing. The Bible plus my translation equals my translation. The Bible is not clear about much, but the differences in opinion about what it says are a strength, not a weakness. The more diverse our makeup and our opinions, the closer we come to restoring the image of God with which we were created and we corrupted. The Bible is not clear about much. Trust me, I went to seminary for three years just to make sure. And I came away from seminary realizing that the Bible is far more complicated than it, I thought it was when I went in. The more you study the Bible, the more you realize it doesn't behave the way you want it to. And so here's the lesson in all of this. We discern the will of God in community with people who disagree with us. Because if you only talk about things with people who agree with you, you're actually not discerning anything. It requires people who disagree in order to discern. Iron sharpens iron. But for that to happen, we have to humbly accept that we don't have this all figured out. We have to be able to disagree about something vehemently with someone and then be able to sit next to them on Sunday and call them a brother or sister in Christ. Now, there are foundational things to our faith, I grant you. But what those are and where we draw the line and what they imply is a matter of much debate. I'm talking about issues that many of us are quite passionate about. Things that range from social issues like gender roles or within the home and the church or, or racial justice or homosexuality to foundational principles of the faith like biblical literalism or end times or church discipline. These are things that if we took a survey of our church, if we asked 10 people what their thoughts on it were, we'd get 11 answers. And so the, the more important question is, can we disagree about these things and still sit in a pew with someone and share communion as brothers and sisters? If we can't, then it's time for us to examine our own theology. Because again, the Bible's not clear about much, but it's clear about that one. We all need to discern what God is teaching us through the Bible. And then as a church, realize that we have doctrinal statements that we feel that we have been called to follow and that we've discerned are correct for us, but that within our body, despite these doctrinal statements, within our body, there are going to be people who disagree with any part of them. And that's okay. Because allowing diversity of thought and theology is critical to our well-being and health as a church. Unity does not require uniformity. But it does require humility and openness. 
a humility and openness that allow us to admit that we could be wrong. To truly listen to someone who disagrees with us in order to, have to better understand our own position and find the flaws and hypocrisies in our own thinking. To allow someone to say, yeah, but what about this other part of the Bible? What do you do with that? To allow the Holy Spirit to change our mind about things that we were once convinced had to be true, but now realize may be more complicated than we originally thought. Diversity of thought is vital and healthy for us internally as a church. But it actually has an effect externally as well. And we can't forget about that. As a church, we are not here just for one another, but for everyone who passes by this building as well. In Luke 5, Jesus says, It is not for those who are well, so excuse me, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Now, that certainly includes you and I, but it includes everyone else as well. See, the purpose of the church, among other things, is to reach out to the people who need us and need Jesus the most. We are the bride of Christ, and so we have been called not to the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Again, that includes everyone who comes into this church, but it also includes everyone who drives by it. Anne Lamott, in her book Traveling Mercies, reminds us, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people as you do. Far too often, the church creates a list. Not a literal list, but an understanding of who good Christians should and should not hang around. And Jesus challenges our religiosity by reminding us, I came for everyone. One of the things that we tend to do within churches is form social groups. Let me be clear, I don't want to say that those are all bad. But the effect that some of them can have is that we only uh, participate within the church life with people who already agree with us on most things. Again, iron sharpens iron. This is important for us. We have to be willing to engage in unity on things where we disagree. Because it'll actually help us when it comes to reaching people outside the church as well. Our, our vision as a church should be to be a place where everyone comes together and welcomes everyone on their, wherever they are on their journey of faith. That invites people to seek out this scandalous grace of God that Jesus was willing to associate with tax collectors and sinners and with you and I. Our mission as a church should be to help people take the next step on their journey, whatever it is. See, every one of us has that next step. It may be the first one or the thousandth one, but there's another step. None of us, if we're honest with ourselves, has it all together. This means welcoming people who don't belong. No one actually belongs at church. None of us has earned the right to be here. Because we exist for the people who don't belong. We exist for the people who don't fit. And the internal diversity I was talking about 
It's one of the greatest tools we have in reaching people externally. See, the world is well aware of the divisions within Christendom. The world is well aware of the conflicts and disagreements that we were just discussing. But we can turn that into a powerful weapon for good. When people see us united and coming together rather than sowing division over the sorts of issues that divide us, there's a natural curiosity. The natural response is, but you disagree. Why are you still friends? Why are you still doing this? We've become such a fractured society that seeing people united despite disagreement is an odd thing. And it prompts questions. And when we get those questions, then we get the opportunity to say, there's a supernatural reason for this unity despite our lack of uniformity. Let me teach you about him. I love to explore the lives of the people that God used to build his church. The disciples were all a mess. Peter, in particular, is, was a brash and often he didn't take time to think things through. Paul, the man who wrote the scripture that I've been quoting already today, was a murderer who, was perse who persecuted Christians. Peter and Paul are perhaps two of the most significant people in the New Testament other than Jesus. And they are deeply flawed men who often disagreed with each other. And God chose these men. He chose these men from the as-is section of that day. They were flawed. But God found great deals in them. There were many people that looked better suited. That God had to pass by on the showroom floor before he got to them. But Jesus understands the thing that my wife understands. It may take some searching, and it may take a little bit of TLC, but once you make the purchase, but the as-is section provides some really great finds. Finding diverse, imperfect people and bringing them into our imperfect fold as a church makes us better, and it makes the church better. Because only when we realize just how valuable, damaged, and broken people are, can we actually hear Paul say, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And then we have to realize that he means you and me. We are the ones who are to accept the sick. We are the ones who need to accept the sinners who need God's grace. The person next to you is who he is talking about when he tells us to accept one another. And that in so doing, you are bringing praise to God. We are the ones who need to value diversity within our midst. We are the ones who need to have the same conversation 25 times with the same person so that we can further understand their perspective. So that we can see this issue in a new light and understand what the Holy Spirit might be trying to stir within us. We are the ones who need to remember that unity does not require uniformity. And then we are the ones who have to shop in the as-is section of our world in order to bring in damaged, irregular people.
into our damaged, irregular midst. Let's pray. Almighty God, through your Holy Spirit, you created unity in the midst of diversity. We acknowledge that human diversity is an expression of your manifold love for your creation. We confess that in our brokenness as human beings, we turn diversity into a source of alienation, injustice, oppression, and wounding. And so now we ask that you empower us to recognize and celebrate the differences as your great gift to the human family. Enable us to be architects of understanding, of respect, and love. Through the power of Jesus Christ, the ground of all unity, we pray these things. Amen. And so now, may the God who created the world of diversity and vibrancy go with us as we embrace life in all its fullness. May the Son who teaches us to care for strangers and foreigners go with us as we try to be good neighbors in our communities. And may the Spirit who breaks down our barriers and celebrates community go with us as we find the courage to create a place of welcome for all. Go in peace.